It's 12.08, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Glad to have you with us. We start off today's show with three big things. Story number one. All right, it is no surprise that, that Chris Avely, the Milwaukee County Executive, is sort of one of the, like, the spoiled, really, really rich kids who doesn't like being told no. And I'm sure he particularly doesn't like being told no by the clown car act that is the Milwaukee County Board. You know, the folks that gave us the, the pension scandal, which results in... I don't know, a guy being able to retire from the district attorney's office, get paid $800,000 in a lump sum, and still collect $60,000 or near $60,000 a year in, in pensions. Just just this crazy sort of stuff. So a lot of the problems that Milwaukee has is, of course, because of stuff that the former county executive, Tom Ament, and the Milwaukee County Board did. So I understand why Chris Abley, who, again, isn't used to not getting his way as many, many rich people are. Um, and then, you know, you, you run into this county board that in many respects has created a lot of the problems that Milwaukee County has. Chris Abley wanted a $60 wheel tax. A wheel tax is, of course, a fee that you have to pay for the privilege of keeping your car in Milwaukee County. The county board decided, yeah, we're going to impose a massive tax increase on the residents of Milwaukee County, but we're not going to give you 60 bucks. We're going to give you 30 bucks. All right, now, I don't think anybody should be patting themselves on the back for increasing the taxes of Milwaukee County residents, again, $30 per car, but it was better than $60. Well, Chris Abley was unhappy with the fact that he couldn't get all $60 of his raise. So what he decided to do is let's try to figure out ways to make this as painful as possible. Over the last couple of days, we've talked about what, in my opinion, is at least the ludicrous plan to go out, hire private vendors or a private vendor to start charging for parking in various Milwaukee County parking lots. The insanity of this proposal is amazing because, first of all, the county wants to raise $1.6 million. Right. They will. What the way this would work if it happened is they would hire this private company that would go out and put parking meters up and down the lakefront and presumably in places like Esterbrook Park or some of the other beer gardens that are around and are successful. They would then kick back a portion of the parking revenue to Milwaukee County. And most estimates are that they would kick back about 10 percent. So that means us taxpayers in Milwaukee County or anybody who wants to use the parks would end up having to pay, under my scenario, $16 million, of which the county would only get $1.6 million, the other 90% going to the private parking operators. I mean, the only, the only people that win under this ludicrous proposal would be whatever parking company ends up donating enough money to the county board and or the county executive to get the gig. I mean, there's only one winner here, and that would be the parking lot operator. But that is that is Abley's proposal. So he, he wants to charge to park in places. And as I've argued, I think that would be ridiculous. The other thing that he wants to do is he wants to close various resources. Instead of I don't know, getting rid of a couple mid-level bureaucrats, say, on his staff. What he wants to do is he wants to try to find things to close. And in some cases, I think what he's hoping is by saying, hey, I'm going to close this or this or this, it's going to create so much public outrage that people just say, well, no, we're willing to give the taxes. We'll, we'll, we'll pay more in taxes. One of the ideas that he floated, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, was closing the, the essentially the water park 
that is, they call it the Schultz Aquatic Center. It's named after David Schultz, former county executive. But it's it's the, the water park that is at Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park is on the, the north side of Milwaukee. It's uh, in Glendale on the border. I think it's I, I think it's in Glendale entirely. Could be on the border of Milwaukee and Glendale, but it's uh, essentially Green Bay Road and Hampton. That That's where it is. They, they built this a few years ago, and it is an extremely successful outdoor pool, right? The way the pool works is, like many things, like a lot of the county park system, the fees that it generates from people using it doesn't cover the entire cost. Um, the estimates are, and this is out of the Journal Sentinel this morning, for last year, for example, now, the, the pool is very, very, it, it's used by a lot of people. It's one of only two pools open to the general public that are available in, in that part of, of town. Um, and it ended up costing the taxpayers two hundred seventy-one thousand. That the it costs about four hundred twenty grand to run it, um, and it generated about one hundred fifty-two thousand in revenue. So it's got a net loss of two hundred seventy-one thousand dollars. Well, like I say, all, all sorts of things in the county operate it at a loss. Um, they don't pay for themselves, but that's what we we. We have our, our property taxes and all those things subsidize it. So Abley is saying, well, here, I didn't get my wheel tax, and it doesn't look like I'm going to get my parking meters. So here's what I want to do. I, I want to I want to close this. I'm going to close various things. And one of the things that I'm going to go after and close is this, this swimming pool. Now, by the way, one of Abley's principal opponents is County Board Chairman Theo Lipscomb, who I have disagreed with at times, like, for example, tearing down the the dam at Estabrook Park. It also happens, though, that this is Lipscomb's district. So by ably doing this, he, he gets to, I don't know, uh, again, say, here, I'm going to try to do everything I can to pressure people into increasing taxes, and I'm going to stick it to one of my principal opponents because I'm going to close down something that people use in his district, and I want them to get mad at him. Well, Lipscomb has responded. Lipscomb says, all right, look, the, the challenge has been, all right, find the money. If we're not going to increase taxes, if we're not going to double the wheel tax that we just put in two years ago, if we're not going to charge to make people park at Estabrook Park or whatever to use the beer garden, where are you going to get the money? So he's out with an idea saying, okay, I, I've got an idea. Here, here's the deal. If we simply imposed a moratorium on most out-of-county travel, by Milwaukee County employees in 2018, we could save enough money to prevent the closing of this Schultz Aquatic Center. He said, this is, you know, you're, at, you're challenging me to come up with money. Well, well here's the idea. Um, I mean, there's certain jobs that obviously, you know, the, the nature of the job is that they need to travel outside of the county. Um, but, you know, or if it's required by a contract, it's fine. But in general, why don't we just impose a moratorium? Let's stop sending people to conferences. Let's stop having people do, you know, travel that isn't essential. Let's have them do their business on the phone. Let's have them do their business via teleconferencing. Let's just impose a moratorium, and we'll save a quarter million dollars, and then we'll be able to keep the pool open. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a reasonable solution? Is this a reasonable cut to say, hey, there's all this out-of-county travel going on, and now obviously we can't cut it all because some of it's required by contracts or some of it's necessary. Sometimes you have to have, I don't know, the the health, for example, the juvenile correctional people, you know, they have to go, you know, out of the county to check on the status of Milwaukee County juveniles. But for non-essential travel, 
let's just cut it out. Let's declare a moratorium, and we'll save a quarter million dollars, and we'll keep the pool open. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think this is a brilliant idea, and this is the type of thing that I always say. You know, before you go... Let's impose taxes. Let's put in this new wheel tax. Let's put in parking meters. Let's stick it to the taxpayers. Look for areas where you can cut. And candidly, I mean, if there's a quarter million dollars sitting around in some budget item, you know, uh, that pays for county workers to make what I would describe as non-essential trips to Madison or to Austin, Texas or whatever, do away with it. 414-799-1620. And my guess is if you started looking through the budget for more items like that, well, you'd be able to find a lot more. All right. Is this a reasonable alternative? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you are on the line, please hold on. We'll discuss it next. This is Big Story Number 1. It's 1217, and this is Jeff Wagner. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, Chris Abley says, I, I didn't get my wheel tax. And he actually got a $30 wheel tax. He wanted a $60 wheel tax. I didn't get all of my wheel tax. It doesn't look like you're going to give me parking lots in the county parks and things like that. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to close things that people use. I'm going after this pool in Lincoln Park, which happens to be in the the chairman of the county board's district. Let's close it. Uh, Where are we getting the money? And Lipscomb says, okay, you need $250,000 to keep it open. I got an idea. Let's just declare a moratorium on non-essential out-of-county travel. And you save two hundred fifty grand. My guess is you probably save more. I think it is an outstanding idea, and I think this is the type of thing that you should be looking at more often. I mean, I just, just speak in general terms. I mean, in, in 2018... Really, why do you necessarily, in most cases, why do you need that in-person sort of thing? You, you've got, you know, you can Skype, you can FaceTime, you can pick up the telephone. I mean, do you really need to drive to Green Bay for a meeting? 414-799-1620. Dennis in West Allis. Dennis, you're first. Hello. Yeah, thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Sure. Yeah, I agree with you. This is, this is not only brilliant. This is what should be done right across the board in all aspects of the budget. Yeah, they should be looking at ways they're able to trim the fat, you know, try to cut things down, pare things down, to be able to save a buck here and there. And as a matter of fact, I, I, I know you're a big movie guy. Did you ever see the movie Dave? Oh, sure. Where, where he, pretend, he pretends to be the president. He's yeah, president. Right. And I re- always remember that one scene where he brings in his accountant because he wants to save a program, and the accountant helps him to do a slash and cut and do all this. <laughs> and then the scene where he's in the boardroom with the rest of the cabinet, and they're actually going through where they're... They're showing, you know, concretely where, okay, we can save here, we can do away with that, we can do away with this, we can save some of this if we do that. That's exactly what they should be doing in government right across the board. Because I tell you, Dennis, that's the thing that in the private sector that you you would, if you were sitting around, you know, with with a budgetary meeting, thanks for calling, there's a shortage uh, of, you know, you're, 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 you're going to meet. You're going to miss your goal or whatever, and you need to figure out a way to cut. Well, you could say, "Okay, are we going to cut something that everybody's really going to notice and hurt people?" Or, you know what? I mean, maybe maybe we don't need to be sending three or four people to a conference up in Green Bay or out to Ho Chunk or something. You know, maybe they can just you know participate via teleconference or something like that, and we can save a quarter of a million dollars. Well, of course, that's what you're going to end up doing. Matter of fact, that's what a lot of companies, private companies, have done over you know the last several years, particularly before the economic rebound. That was one of the first things that went non-essential business travel. Do you need to be on the road now? And again, I understand in some cases. 
is you, you, you need that person-to-person contact. And, you know, maybe if you're a salesperson, it's more difficult to do it on the phone. But, again, if you're, you know, if, if you – why can't you just participate in the conference via teleconferencing? Let's talk to Cause in Milwaukee. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. Good afternoon. I think this is absolutely brilliant. And as Dennis mentioned, <clears throat> this should be done across the board because this tells me somebody like Theo Lipscomb is actually sweating the pennies. Mm-hmm. If you really want to pare down the budget like most private businesses do and you don't have unlimited funds, thank you very much for bringing this up, Mr. Lipscomb. And now get your other board members to chime in. And if everybody takes a page of the budget, yeah. starts paring it down and getting rid of needless costs, we might have something close to a million dollars of savings and surprise everybody. Yeah, exactly. Right, exactly. I mean, I I would be fascinated. Okay, I would be fascinated to to know, right, what were the travel budgets of these different agencies? How much did they spend? You know, how much was it on in-state travel? And and what were we really talking about? Was this just going out to visit vendors or or whatever? Was it going to conferences? And and again, I understand that there's always going to be some travel which is essential, and I'm not not arguing you do away with that, but there's clearly a lot of travel which is non-essential. Leave the car at home, pick up the telephone, or pick up the computer. Rest assured that if this was a line item in the budget that caught somebody's attention, there's some big bucks there. Yep. Oh, ab- absolutely. No, no, thanks to call. You know, it, it, it's interesting. The first caller was, was making reference, Dennis was making reference to, you know, the, the movie Dave. I mean, years ago, if you've been with me since the beginning, you know, we always made reference to, we used to have... Uh, an accountant here. His name was Bill. We called him Vicious Bill because every year at the budget process, Vicious Bill, well, he became Vicious Bill. He would go through stuff line by line, and I respected him, but all the managers, oh, hate it's not what I mean, but you know what I mean. He, he was, it was like, okay, we're going to get scrutinized with a fine-tooth comb, and we're going to be asked, you know, why are you spending this money on this item or why do you need this or why do you need that? And you would be expected to justify it. And I always used to say, you know, if we really wanted to save money, all you have to do is we got a loan vicious bill out. Let vicious bill go and sit down and look at the Milwaukee County budget. Let it for give him a week. Give him two weeks. Give him two weeks with the city of Milwaukee budget. And you could apply that to any of the things here. And I guarantee you, vicious bill would have found what I would describe as fat. And, and when I mean fat, I mean, look, I'm not necessarily saying it's something that's not necessarily worthwhile, but I'm saying it's something that you could do without. So the idea is, okay, we don't send some employees to a conference up in Green Bay at the uh, at the casino. All right, and instead, we, we use some of the money to put towards keeping this, this swimming pool open. I, I vote for the swimming pool. That's just me. Michael in North Mo- on the northwest side. Michael, you're on WTMJ. Hello. How you doing, sir? Real, real well, thank you. What do you think of this? Here's what I'm going to say. It, it, it really go a little deeper than that, okay? And this, here's my opinion, right? Now, you want to close the swimming pool on the north side. Only got one. You close the other one. Now, we're trying to get crime out. Now, I go swimming. I'm 63 years old. I take my grandbaby there. Mm-hmm. Now, take that swimming pool away. You don't want crime in the neighborhood. But then you don't have no place in the summertime <laughs> where the parents and grandparents can take their kids to. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so, even saying, so what I'm saying is you already closed the one on 20th and Burlap. Right. You know what I'm saying? Now what you're going to do is going to close a recreational place 
and you're trying to get crime off the street. 100 degrees, 75 degrees. So you got to drive all the way on the south side? Yep. That is crazy. Right. And see, it's bigger than just that. The thing is, they have to understand, this is recreation. You can take people off the street by going to the swimming pool. Has he ever went to that swimming pool to see? I'm 63. I took my grandbaby there, and I see a whole bunch of families out there. I, I doubt. I know. I, I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure, Michael. My guess is Chris Abley does not, on a regular basis, go go to the Lincoln Park pool to swim. And I, I could be wrong, and I'm willing to be corrected. But but my guess is you're not going to see him out there on a hot Sunday afternoon. I'm just don't, I don't picture that. But he yeah. doesn't have to. But no. the thing is, the thing is, because it's losing money. It's just like I listen to y'all every day, and TMJ is my thing. It's just like they want to put parking meters. <laughs> Yep. In the in the parks. You know, yep. In the parks. That is ridiculous. The thing is, that's why people are paying taxes. You're not going to make money on everything that you do. Well, no, that's right. You're right. That's Michael. Thanks. Thanks for the call. Grew is producing the show. My favorite call of the day so far. Michael's right. Yeah, that that you're right. You, you, we we have. That's why we pay money for for the parks. You you help subsidize them because you're you're not going to make money. You're not going to make money on the swimming pool. And I, I again, I, I I stand willing to be corrected. I'm not willing to say that Chris Abley has never gone swimming at that Lincoln Park pool. My guess is, though, <laughs> on, on, you, you, you might find him at the Milwaukee Country Club. You might find him at the, you know, at the, some of the various places around downtown. My guess is on a regular hot Sunday, Sunday afternoon, you're, you're not going to find Chris Abley mingling with the, you know, with, with everybody else at the Lincoln Park pool. Now, if, if, if I'm wrong, I'll stand to be corrected, but um, I'm not saying he's never been there, but I guess he's just probably not a regular fixture there. I, I just don't see it. All right, big story number two is coming up. All right, speaking of sticking, sticking it to you, ah, there's a Milwaukee alderman who's got, well, I think it's a harebrained idea, for want of a better word. That's coming up. It's 1228. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1236, Jeff Wack, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The 2017 season was bright, but what are expectations in the clubhouse for 2018? Matt Pauley checks in with Brewers pitcher Jacob Barnes at 8.07 this evening. Uh, check out Brewers Weekly. All right, big story number two. Um, Milwaukee County Alderman, Terry Witkowski, wants to punish you for leaving your car running. And unattended. Now, right now, hear me out on this. Let me explain. Right now, there is as part of the Milwaukee Milwaukee City of Milwaukee ordinance. There is an ordinance that prohibits a person, that's you, from leaving your car unattended on a street or an alley or in any other public place unless the starting level or ignition of the vehicle is locked and the key for the lock is removed from the vehicle. Let me translate. You are guilty of an ordinance violation and can be fined if you leave your car running and it's unattended on the street um, or um, in an alley. Okay, unless it's unless it's locked. All right, and the lock and the key is the key. The car has to be locked and the key has to be away. All right now, I understand for some people that's not necessarily an issue if you've got one of those newer cars and you've got the remote starters and things like that. But a lot of people don't have that. I have always railed about the, these rules because to me, while it not be it might not be a smart thing to do, what does it say about a city 
where crime is so out of control that you can't warm up the car in the alley behind your house without having fear of it being stolen. But in Tom Barrett's Milwaukee, that is the reality. Every time it gets cold and people do this, you just have people driving all over. And the stories are just amazing. You know this story? Well, okay, it was 30 seconds and the car was gone. I mean, there are just roving gangs of bandits that drive up and down the streets of Milwaukee looking for an unattended car that is running and they steal it off the streets. So while I think the underlying problem is why have we let crime get so out of control, I I guess I, I understand and I think it is perhaps unwise, you know, to leave the car on the street. This new ordinance, though, goes a step further. What Witkowski wants to have the Common Council do is extend this rule, which essentially says you can't leave your car unlocked and running on the street. He wants to have this apply to a motor vehicle parked in a driveway, parking lot, parking slab, or other outdoor location on private property as well. So in other words, if you have a house and your car is in your driveway, not on the street, but in your driveway, this would have the city of Milwaukee telling you that you can't leave your car running and unattended and not be locked in your own driveway, or you will be fined. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I ask this seriously. What is next? Are we now going to get an ordinance that says if you leave your front door unlocked or you leave your back door unlocked or you've got first floor windows and you happen to leave one of those windows open, you will now be fined because you're going to make it easier for the burglars. I agree that it is probably and unfortunately not the smartest thing to do in the world to leave your car unattended and and running. I, I get it. And, again, if you live in the city of Milwaukee, it's amazing to me that you would put up with that. But that's the way it is. Crime is so out of control. But, really, we're now going to tell you what you have to do on private property. And if you want to warm up your car next to your garage in your driveway and leave it running, that's going to be a crime. If you're working on your car in the summertime and you've got it running and you decide to go into the house or whatever and its car is running, you're going to be cited. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. To me, you could argue that this is unwise, that, that if you live in the city of Milwaukee where crime is so out of control, you probably should not leave your car running unlocked and unattended at any point in time because it's going to be stolen. Thank you, Tom Barrett. But again, I mean, where do we draw the line? Is it now you didn't lock your door? All right, so and we all know that people are going to go up there and, you know, they're going to break in. Or you had you had Federal Express packages delivered and left on your front porch and people came around and stole them. Well, okay, yes, you're the victim. Your car is gone. Your packages are gone. Your house has been broken into. But, you know, you didn't lock the windows. You didn't lock the door. You didn't make arrangements to have them delivered to your place of work or something. You're going to be responsible as well because now we have to have the police come out and investigate. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Lloyd in Milwaukee. Lloyd, good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Lloyd. I just don't understand the city of Milwaukee. <laughs> you and me both, pal. The, the, they want to punish the law-abiding, and they go easy on the criminals. You could have a driveway that's two, 300 feet long, have your car right next to the house, Yep. and you can't start it and let it warm up. Right. Right. Not yeah, under this, this is, ordinance. Yep. <laughs> yeah. This is as crazy as 
punishing the grocery store for having their shopping cart stolen. <laughs> right, right. Another great example. I mean, where where do you why why would we stop with the car running? How about if you leave your car windows down in the summer? Are you going to get fined for that? You know, because somebody can reach in, unlock the door, jump in, hot wire the car, or whatever. I mean, at, at some point in time, when when are we going to stop treating citizens like victims? <laughs> like citizens, yeah. uh, like instead of treating like victims, treat them like the bad guys. They're the victims. Your car has been ripped off. For goodness sakes. Absolutely. No, I, th- I truly think what it is, it's a fundraiser for the city. They know the law abiding will pay those fines. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I mean, th- thanks for calling. I mean, I'm trying to imagine the first Milwaukee police officer that's driving around when it's two degrees below zero and you're looking down somebody's driveway and you see that the car is running. That I'm trying to imagine the first copper that has to get out of the car, walk up the driveway. Notice that the car is check to see whether the car's door is unlocked or not, and then you know bang on the door and issue a ticket to the guy who's inside warming up. Or, or let me give you an even better example. You're doing that. You're in your your car is in its driveway. It's in your driveway, a private property. Let's say you've got a pretty decent sized driveway, for example, and you have done this. You've left the car running. It has been stolen. All right, you call the police to report the stolen car, and the cops, once they get there, are going to say, well, gee, there's really not much we can do because so many cars get stolen in the city of Milwaukee. Our chances of finding yours are probably slim to none and slims on a bus out of town. But, oh, by the way, you left the keys in it and the car running. Here's a $100 ticket. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, I'm just trying to imagine the look on somebody's face. Wait, wait a minute. My car was stolen. You're telling me that you're probably not going to be able to find it. My guess is it's driving down the street and either heading for a chop shop or being used as a, you know, in, in some drug deal, or you got some 15-year-old kid driving 100 miles an hour, blowing through red lights and damn near hitting people, and you're going to give me the $100 citation? 414-799-1620. Timothy in Sussex. Timothy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um. Yeah, I think it's uh, ridiculous. Yeah, I don't, you know, I, I live in Sussex and not Milwaukee. Um, but, you know, I, I mind I had it aftermarket, so I had a three lakh. So it's locked and it's running. And there's times where I'll do my driveway, start the truck, and then walk inside to finish getting ready for work. Sure. And, you know, it's, you know, I know the neighborhood that I live in and, you know, I know the people around there. But if I see a cop walking up, you know, A, it's on private property, and if it's on a public street and, you know, warming up, you know, DK, that's a different story. Right. But, but this is talking about on your property, in you know, on your parking slab or, you know, in your driveway. This is coming onto your property to tell you you can't warm this up. No, thanks. For, and again, I mean, really, this is... Is the, it seems to me, and, I, and again, I, I hate these slippery slope type of arguments. But the, the truth is, it seems to me the next step really is, you know, you have to lock your doors. Now, is it a good idea to lock your doors? Yes, you know, you, you should keep your windows shut and maybe keep them locked as well. But th- is this is the next step? Well, somebody broke into the house. Well, the person forgot to lock the door. Here's a hundred and fifty dollar fine. Or, gee, somebody came in through that ground floor window that they had open in the summer. Here's a hundred and fifty dollar fine. Okay, the, the 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 we are looking at the victims and we are victimizing the victims. We're going to take a couple more calls. If you're on the line, hold on. I, again, this just this is the type of stuff that makes my head explode. And I understand 
as a practical matter, unfortunately, in the city of Milwaukee, crime is so bad that if you don't have that remote starter, this is a bad practice. And I, I just it took me years to come to that conclusion because I thought, well, well, come on, can crime really be that out of control? But yes, crime really is in at that out of control. So it's a bad practice to do it. But really, you're going to now get a ticket for doing it on your own property if this ordinance goes through. It's twelve forty six. This is Jeff Wagner. 1250, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I'm sorry, we had full phone lines on, on big story number two, but I, I want to move on because if I don't, the show will just completely and totally get away from me. Uh, just a couple texts here. Great topic. Let you, I've got an idea. This week says, use a running car as bait to catch these criminals. It wouldn't take long, and it would stop. Now, see, I love people who think outside the box. You know, we, we know this is a huge problem. Whenever it gets cold, you have the criminals that just drive up and down the streets of Milwaukee, and there's lots of them, organized gangs looking for the, those cars that are unattended. Wouldn't that be an interesting thing? One morning, without telling anybody, you go and you take a bunch of used cars. This is Now, see, this is thinking. You, you pick whatever district you're going to pick. You take a bunch of just used cars. You park them on streets throughout Milwaukee, leave them running, and leave them, uh, you know, leave them running and leave them unlocked. And then what you do is you, in the back seat, maybe under a blanket or something, you put an armed cop and just wait and see what happens. Because my guess is, you know, you're going to have these cars disappearing, you know, so then the bad guys come along, they jump in, they try to drive off, you get them a half a block, and then the armed police officer springs up from the back and says, you're under arrest. Boom. And, you know, wouldn't it, you put GPS trackers on these things as well? Now, see, that is the kind of out-of-box thinking that I would love to hear from, like, the new police chief. Now, of course, there's some people in the Fire and Police Commission and perhaps in the Common Council that don't want to hear that because, oh, well, that means you, you'd catch the people that were actually stealing the car. Or, gee, the person, it might be a 15-year-old who might be stunned when the armed police officer springs up from the back seat, and then he might lose control. Well, yeah, I guess that's entirely possible that it might happen. But you know what? That's the kind of out-of-the-box thinking that I would love to see to catch the ne'er-do-wells who are out there. I think this is a genuinely stupid idea, though, to punish people for leaving their car running on private property. Is that the smartest thing to do? No, but I think it's government overreach. All right, big story number three, and I actually have been waiting all day to talk to you about this. One of the things that that Governor Walker has been talking about doing really for the last year or two is, and and some people will say, well, he's rolling back the, the things that they did No, along with Act 10. That means that Act 10 was a failure. No, it it doesn't. Act 10 was a product of its time. And one of the things that Governor Walker had always said was that, you know, once we get out of the budget mess we're in, we're going to figure out ways to, you know, go back. We're going to try to put money back that we took out or we're going to try to, you know, increase the growth a, a bit. And so you saw that with uh, the, the funding levels for education. And one of the things that Governor Walker did yesterday was he said, Here, here's what I do, want to do. We have extra money. And rather than just running big surpluses, one of the things that I would like to do is I would like to return it to the people who ha- have paid it as best we, we can. 
And so what he's decided to do and what he needs approval for the legislature to do is to essentially issue a $122 million child tax credit. So the way this would work is, is anybody you know, who has a dependent child, it's reported among the tax returns, if you've got a dependent child, you get a $100 tax rebate. Now, his ultimate plan is to try to build this in permanently, but short term, we will give you the money back, $100 per kid. You know, he's saying you, know, you can use this for back-to-school expenses or whatever. Now, I understand if you want to be parochial. I do not have children, right? So this doesn't help me at all. I, I get it. But at the same time, you know, the, the portion of property taxes that I pay to support the schools doesn't directly help me. At the same time, this federal tax reform, you know, where they, they've changed taxes around, I don't know if that's going to help me or not. I'm, I'm probably not going to know for a year or two whether I'm going to actually come out ahead. But you know what? I appreciate that a large number of Americans are going to come out ahead as a result of tax reform. So even though this might not necessarily help me, I think it's good overall public policy, and that's why I support the the Republican tax reform plan. This is the same thing. It is not going to – it's not going to help me directly at all because, like I say, I don't have dependent children, so I'm not going to get any money back out of it. But at the same time, I don't mind – People who do have dependent children, I don't mind, you know, them getting, you know, a little bit of a sweetener. And I don't. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess, you know, one way you could do this, which would dilute it, would be to say, you know, all taxpayers are going to get, you know, X amount of money back. But the chances are, if you do that, you know, the, the tax rebates or whatever would end up being a lot smaller. This this can potentially make a difference for, you know, people, you know, who have kids. Now, I understand there's some people saying, well, this needs to be targeted more at the, you know, middle and and lower income taxpayers. But in many cases, you know, it's the, the people with the five kids who have relatively good salaries. They're the ones they're the ones that have paid more into the surplus. So I don't think it's unfair that they don't get the dough. Let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this an idea worth supporting? $122 million child tax credit, which would take the form, at least initially, of rebate checks to people who have dependent children. If you don't have dependent children or you don't have children at all, you're, you're out of luck. So you're not going to get anything. I'm in that category, but I don't mind other people doing okay. 1256, we're back to discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we've touched a nerve with this. I want to make sure we have time to do justice to the various calls. So I'm going to take a quick break for the news. Then we'll be back to talk about this. If you want to join us, we're going to start off right after, out of the box after the news. 414-799-1620. Governor Walker is proposing dealing with the surplus, $122 million. He's proposing giving it back to the taxpayers in a child tax credit. The way the initial thing would work is you'd get a receipt for like a sales tax credit, and then ultimately it would later on be part, moving forward, would be hopefully part of a permanent uh, tax credit. But if you don't have kids, you're not going to get a share of this. Is that fair? We discuss. It's 1259. It's 108. This is Jeff Wagner. Very glad to have you with us. All right. Governor Walker says, hey, 
because of the reforms we've done, we, we have a we now have a surplus. And what I want to do is I want to give it back to taxpayers, but not all taxpayers. He's proposing a hundred and twenty two million dollar child tax credit, which would essentially be a hundred dollars to anybody with dependent children. So if if you're like me and you don't have any children, much less any dependent. I've got, I've got stepkids now, but they're certainly not dependent. But, you know, if you don't have any children, uh, dependent children under the age of 17, you're, you're, you're not going to get this money. Um, and uh, some people are saying, well, that, that's just not fair. You know, what about me? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Jeff, I disagree. I think that should go to everybody that pays state taxes. And the reason I say that is because you cannot guarantee that the people that are going to get it with kids are going to use it on their kids. Right. I, bear, I, I just, I don't believe it. Well, and, and I mean, I'll, I will take it one step further. Go out to dinner. I, well, I, I guess, and I will take it one step further. I, you can make an argument. I have a, a very dear friend of mine who um, makes a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> just just makes a lot of money, and he's got four children under the age of of eleven. So the the last person really from a need perspective that needs to get four hundred dollars back as a state tax credit is, is my friend who makes an enormous amount of money. But but there's always going to be those those cases. I guess the problem is Tony, if we just try to give it back to everybody, what would we be getting? Like five or ten dollars? At least a hundred dollars can maybe make a difference for some of these people. Jeff, I have a better idea. They should take any surplus money and fix all the roads. Well, that's no, 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 no. Thanks. No, that that's actually that that's not that's not a laughable thing. I mean, I guess that's you, you always have if you have extra money. You you always have those decisions. Do we try to give it back to some of the people who paid for it, or do we try to say, okay, we're going to use this to supplement, you know, the transportation budget, um, and, and that. That is a valid, by the way, public policy decision. And if the governor had come out and said something like that, candidly, I I, I think I I might have supported that as well. I'm glad to see the money going back, and I am supportive of the idea, though, of the money going back to the people who paid it. Is this the most equitable way? Well, we always get into those arguments because, like I was talking about earlier, as somebody who, who doesn't have children – I mean, I, a portion of my property tax goes to support the school system, and, and arguably I don't get a lot out of it. Now, I understand indirectly you could say, well, a good school system keeps up your property values, but, but it's basically just from a societal perspective, you know, you, you want to have good schools. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to um, Freddie in Milwaukee. Freddie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, B. Freddie? Yeah, hi. Hey, Freddie, now listen. Now, you got to listen to this. Now, instead of giving $100 to every for this child credit thing, how about giving $50 and take the other $50 and the surplus that's left, and then you go along to every community in the state to their police and fire departments, and you say, let's fully staff and man your police departments and your fire departments. Because, like in Milwaukee, every single day you're complaining about the stolen cars. You're complaining about the robberies. Well, to be honest with you, we're over 300 and some police officers short, and now we want to close some fire stations down because the city doesn't have funding for it. Mm -hmm. So wouldn't this make a heck of a lot more sense for the people that don't have any children for this here? And 
They don't have any children, and they're paying for the schools and everything else now already. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't this make a lot more sense? Well, I guess why not just why not give them money back directly? I mean, if if that's if that's the case, I mean, why not give everybody back a little bit of money? No, no, I'm saying let's give the money to where we're going to see it count. Right? No, no, I get it. I know police departments, fire departments, and stuff like this. I, I and and seeing Freddie and that that's a good idea. That that's potentially a good idea too. Um, now it might be a little tougher to work out given the fact that. You know, the, the funding in general for, we're talking about state taxes, and the funding for these state taxes, you know, comes from the state income tax as opposed to, like, generally fire and police protection comes from, you know, the local departments and from the local property tax. So, I mean, these are all good ideas. And if the governor would have proposed variations of these, I, I wouldn't have opposed them. But I guess I just look at this and say, look, if the theory of this is, let's, Let's try to get money back into the hands of people who have paid it. We've got this surplus. This is at least a way, and again, you are picking winners and losers. I'm the first to concede about the, concede that. But, you know, we, we pick winners and losers anyways when we have a tax structure that gives you credit for dependent children and things like that. So if you want to have this overall conversation about, gee, should we not allow people to you know, claim dependents and get credits for that? Why, why do we reward somebody um, who's got three kids? Why do we have them pay lower taxes? I mean, all of that stuff makes sense to me. But at the same time, I, I think the governor is on to something. And could he have done it differently? And if he had done it differently, would I have supported it? Yeah, probably. I'm just glad to see money coming from the state going back to people for them to use. It's 114. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, when is enough going to be enough? And a follow-up to a story we talked about in the 12 o'clock hour yesterday. Stick around. It's 114. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So really very happy to have you with us. The good news, temperatures could reach 50 degrees tomorrow. The bad news, it could be rough on your house in terms of ice dams. Huh, maybe if you live in the southern part of our listening area and got all that snow. Gene Miller gets tips from the one and only Mr. Fix-It, Tom Faza. Tune in 751 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. All right, yesterday... And this this was a segment that continues to generate a ton of, of email, most people agreeing with me, but some being relatively hostile in their disagreement. The story that was the headlines on all the TV stations and got a lot of attention about how awful the folks at Aurora Sinai were, this was the one, there was the images of the homeless guy who was wearing the hospital clothes and pushed out onto the street in the wheelchair in the cold, and you had this homeless advocate that was just talking about how awful this was, and everybody was ripping on Aurora, and and I was the contraindicator. I said, wait a second. You know, this guy was a hospital, what they call a jumper, which is a handful of people who are well-known to the various hospitals in the area who show up at emergency rooms when it's cold and want to hang out in there and want to try to get themselves admitted to the hospitals um, so they can get food or, or whatever. And in many cases, these are people who have been thrown out of shelters. There's issues with mental illness. There's issues with, you know, alcohol or drug problems. But but it's it's a mess. 
And for everybody who was jumping on Aurora, including, you know, there was one of these women that was from one of these homeless groups who said, this is just terrible. And, and, but she even acknowledges, gee, a couple of weeks ago, I helped get this same guy into, into a shelter. And now look, he, he's back out. Well, obviously trying to get him into the shelter, you know, didn't work. So he, here's the follow up. Aurora came out and they said, look, we're, uh, we have suspended several employees for not following our protocol. But, but, you know, once they go into the, the details of this, I continue to believe that this is a much more complicated situation. Matter of fact, I was talking to a friend of mine last night who, in another life, you know, drove for an ambulance company. And he said they used to have these problems all the time. Okay, here's what Aurora says. When a patient, and in this case, the guy that you saw out on the street, the patient had been medically cleared. So they said, okay, you, you've got your discharge, you've got to leave. He refused to leave the emergency department. So here you have, you've got an emergency department that is jammed. In some of the area hospitals, if you've been following the stories about all the flu that's going around, you know that there's no beds in, in some of these hospital facilities. So here you have this homeless guy with mental illness, Ill, Ill problems, who is a jumper, hospital jumper, goes from, you know, one, one hospital to the other. He's in the emergency room. He's emer- he's, he's cleared. He refuses to leave the emergency room. Um, and so then Aurora says, well, instead of just putting him outside, employees should have called the Milwaukee Police Department, um, and then the Milwaukee Police Department come and, and pick him up. They say an individual who's been medical cleared but is unwilling to leave should not have been escorted outside without the involvement of law enforcement. Um, we're doing everything we can to make sure an incident like this doesn't happen again. But, of course, the the, the problem is that you have, again, people – who are number one homeless and number two often suffer from various forms of mental illness or drug addiction who keep showing up at at these hospitals um, and who won't leave. Um, they, they say that, you know, the, Aurora says, you know, we'll, we'll try to arrange shelter for homeless patients, um, but at the same time, you know, there, there's limits as to what we can do. They say that like some homeless patients don't want to stay in in shelters, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I understand that it looks bad. The optics, isn't that the buzzword nowadays? The optics are bad. You have a guy and you, you just turf him. You put him out on the street in the wheelchair, and their policies and protocols say that they're supposed to call the cops. Okay, I get that. But the problem is, you know, th- this is an ongoing thing. And I think we've got to cut the hospital, particularly the emergency rooms, some slack because their principal function is to deal with sick people. So you have a packed emergency room with people who are sick. A lot of people have the flu. Maybe people have even more serious things. You've got a mentally ill homeless guy who bounces from emergency room to emergency room who doesn't want to leave. I guess it's tough for me to see Aurora as the bad guy here. Should they have called the police and then made it the police's problem? Well, yeah, I I guess. I I understand. But I want to cut the emergency room some slack here. Am I giving them too much leeway? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, for the folks that are working the emergency rooms, and I'm I'm just trying to imagine this. Here you have one of these frequent flyers. You have this guy. 
who keeps coming in, you know, maybe sometimes some of these docs say these people come in, you know, a couple times a day into the emergency room. They're just looking to hang out. You're swamped with people who are really sick, who are waiting. You've got to clear space for them, and they don't want to leave. You can offer them clothing, but a lot of times they don't want to put on the clothing. So, you know, really, I understand the protocol is to call the cops and then just turn it over to the cops and have it be their problem. But at the same time, you know, are the emergency rooms the bad guys for using a little bit of self-help? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And this, of course, ties into the larger problem, which is how we deal with people who are mentally ill in this state, the, the idea that we can't involuntarily commit people until they demonstrate that they, they are a danger to themselves or a dangerous, danger to others. But oftentimes, by that time, it is too late. 414-799-1620. And again, Aurora's apologized. They said they didn't. They, these people violated our protocol. But I don't think what they did, I don't think it's really as bad as what it it looked to be, Um, even though I understand that this is not necessarily a desirable thing. But I'm sympathetic. Full emergency room, lots of sick people, and a guy who's there over and over again who refuses to leave. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, the protocol is call the cops, but then... I mean, then the cops, what I think happens is the cops then take the guy to a shelter. He won't stay at a shelter, and then the people walk away from the shelter, or they get thrown out of the shelter because they've got problems with drugs or alcohol or mental illness or whatever, and you're right back in the same situation, or in this case, in the same emergency room or the emergency room of a hospital down the street. Tim in Fredonia. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, good afternoon, young man. Hi. You know, uh... The hospital are, are not the bad people here. They're not the bad guys because, Jeff, just say for yucks and giggles, they start doing this, okay? They don't kick anybody out, and then the word gets on the street, then the next guy comes in, and all of a sudden you've got ten, 10 people in this situation going on in one night or one particular instance, and it's a busy night in the ER. You've got right. gunshot victims or whoever. Well, well flu, I mean, you've got a million people that are coming in because they've got right. the flu and are sick, yeah. And then what you do then, Jeff, say something happens to one of those people who are legitimately in the emergency room and they don't get treated quite as fast because the staff is paying attention to these people who are, are perfectly healthy and or discharged to get out of there and something major happens to one of them prospective customers or patients, for lack of a better term, Jeff. What do you think is going to happen? They're going to lawsuit like crazy right. in that situation. Thanks, Jeff. I want to hear no, your no, response. No, th- well, and, well, Tim, I, I, I agree with you. This is this is a nightmare from the perspective of of the emergency rooms. Um, let's see. The story in the paper says the photo of the homeless man was taken only a couple weeks after the University of Maryland Medical Center in Baltimore discharged a woman on a cold night dressed in only a hospital gown and socks. Now, so, I mean, here here's the problem that you have. And, I, again, I try to... Whenever I, I hear these issues, I try to examine them from the, the real world thing. And I understand you see the picture of this guy and he's in the wheelchair and he's not dressed and, you know, he's dressed only in a hospital gown and people are appalled. And I, I get it. But but how did you get to that situation? Well, he had been taken to a shelter the last time. You know, he, he left an emergency room by the police. Obviously, that did not work out. 
So now he's back in another different emergency room. He's been discharged. He is refusing to leave. You know, the doctors and the nurses and the medical orderlies or whatever, they've got a full emergency room, and they're trying to deal with patients who need this. And, you know, they're they're not – it's not a homeless shelter. An emergency room isn't a homeless shelter. A hospital isn't a hostel. It's, you know, it's a place to treat people who are sick, and then once you get sick, you got to leave. Doug in South Milwaukee. Doug, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi uh, first, I just want to make a general statement. First, I'm getting a little uh, tired. We, we, we don't get all the facts all the time, and then we make judgments on the situation. But in this case, I do believe that Aurora, um, there wasn't much they could do, even if they called the police, uh, and the police tried to uh, escort him or take care of it. Uh, if he turned violent, then we've got another situation on him, and the police are at fault at this. The city of Milwaukee's got plenty of services here to take care of uh, individuals, both uh, public and private. And these individuals choose not to take advantage of these services. Yeah. And uh, they feel they have a right, and they it's actually a disrespect for other people's uh, lives. Well, yeah, Doug, it's thanks. I mean, and, and what are they? Okay, and so, all right, let, let, I mean, so the protocol is you're, you're supposed to call shelters or whatever. And I get that, and that makes sense. But, I, I mean, okay, you've got a full emergency room. You've got people who are really sick. You've got one of these hospital jumpers who is refusing to leave. All right, so, so then what's supposed to happen? Are you supposed to take, like, an ER nurse um, and, and have them calling shelter after shelter, saying, hey, do you, do you have a bed for tonight? Because, you know, Harry's back here again, and, and he's been discharged. We have no room for him. I mean, at some point in time, there's a practical issue. And then what happens when you call the police? All right, the, the guy's not under arrest because he hasn't committed a crime. He doesn't want to go to the shelter. He isn't a danger to himself or others. What are the police supposed to do? And, again, I, I understand this is a complex issue, and I understand you see this picture, and everybody goes, oh, this is terrible. And it is terrible that he finds himself in that situation. But the emergency rooms aren't necessarily the bad guy. It's 128. This is Jeff Wagner. 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ Grew, who's producing the show today and always. My psyche is a weird place to go. I, I'm the first one to acknowledge this, and there's there, there's probably just not enough couch time in or, around to, to kind of like work out all the different things that are like kicking around in my psyche. And, and candidly, I, I'm okay that they're back there. Um, I have now. Do you ever have recurring dreams? You're too young to have like recurring dreams. So I mean, like like one of my recurring dreams is that I, I'm in college, and there's some course that I, I have I, I haven't gone all year and it's the exam and I'm not prepared for the exam and I can't figure out the room where the exam is and I don't I'm and if I don't pass this I'm not going to get my credits and I'm not going to be able to graduate and then it's kind of like in the back of my mind I'm like look if I can't graduate I'm not going to go to law school but I know I have a law degree and I take away my law degree it's it's just this weird thing but it happens. Uh, it, it happens a lot. I'm running around trying to figure out, okay, you know, where, you know, where, do I have enough credits and all this stuff? It, it's weird. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know what sets it off. But you know, that's one of the recurring dreams I have. I have this other recurring dream about um, high school. Now, when I was 15 years old, I was, I think, a freshman at Nicolet High School, and I have this recurring dream uh, about student lockers. 
and I have forgotten the combination to my student locker. And like all my stuff is in the student locker and I can't get in. And, and then it, again, it sets me off on this kind of like weird chain of things that I'm not going to be able to go to classes and I'm not going to graduate. And I'm not gonna co- co- it's just this whole weird thing. And I, I, I'm, I'm sure there's some easy explanation for this, but it's like I can't remember the combination to my student locker. But that's the stuff that I was worried about when I was 15. As an aside, there's this big story in the Washington Post today about how lots of high schools, particularly new ones when they build them, they don't build. They don't put student lockers in them anymore because high school kids nowadays don't use lockers. I mean, everybody, you're just, you're, you're looking. Did you use a locker? You're, you did, yeah. No, this is the thinking that most people, that a lot of the kids don't, don't use lockers anymore they just they carry all their stuff back and forth in like their knapsacks and their book bags and things like that you you use your locker okay yeah i i I, bruce says his backpack would have been 50 pounds but no there's a lot of people that this is the new thing big story in the washington post and how lots of schools that have lockers are now taking out the lockers And, and what they're doing is they're kind of they're not always like dis getting rid of all the lockers, but they might have these lockers that you don't want to, like they do at the bus terminals and stuff that you can come in. You don't have an assigned locker. You can dump stuff in for the day, but you don't have this permanent locker. I'm just, just saying. I, but in any event, I, I have, when I was 15, obviously the type, type of stuff that I was worried about in high school was I can't remember the combination to the locker. Well, let me tell you the story of another 15-year-old. Here's the headline in the local newspaper. 15-year-old fugitive arrested after carjacking and chase. Now, okay, think about that. Let's just break down that headline. 15-year-old arrested after carjacking and chase. That would be, I think, appalling enough. But then you add in the fact that the 15-year-old was a fugitive, bringing to mind the question of how in the you-know-what can a 15-year-old be a fugitive? All right, here's the way uh, Channel 6 reported this. Officials with the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Office said a 15-year-old boy, not even old enough to have a valid driver's license, was arrested Tuesday, accused of leading deputies on a wild chase from Racine to Milwaukee after a carjacking. Let me just let that hang out in the air for a minute. 15 years old, not old enough to have a license, leads deputies on a wild chase from Racine to Milwaukee after a carjacking. Sheriff's officials said Racine police were investigating a carjacking where the offender dragged the owner with the car as he sped away. So you've got the carjacking and then you've actually got acts of violence along with it. About 1.20 p.m., 1.20 1.20 p.m. That's why I asked Eric, you know, where your kids were. Well, they, they were in school. Well, apparently not everybody was in school because at 1.20 p.m., Oak Creek police saw the vehicle that had been involved in the carjacking where the owner had, had been dragged, um, which was involved in a crash, but drove away at recklessly high speeds. Pursuit was terminated. A Milwaukee County Sheriff's deputy in an unmarked squad spotted the vehicle on the freeway about 135 northbound I-43 near Rosedale. Um, 
He and other additional units were sent to back him up. The suspect vehicle exited the freeway at McKinley Avenue. A traffic stop was attempted, but the suspect vehicle failed to stop and continued to elude officers. The 15-year-old evaded officers on Lincoln Memorial Drive, Downer Avenue, Locust Street, and crashed into a light pole at Lafayette and Summit um, on the east side. The 15-year-old fled on foot and was apprehended by a pursuing deputy's canine dog. Uh, so they threw the dogs at him. Okay, good. Um, let's see. The, the light pole outside the guy's condo was just completely and totally knocked down. Witness says, I opened my window and saw a bunch of cops. They had a street closed down. Saw them talking to a person. All right. Detainees, deputies detained the 15-year-old boy. This is the guy, carjacks, goes on the high-speed chase, flees from the police, and will be charging him with fleeing and eluding, operating without an owner's consent, and citations for operating without a valid license, recklessly driving. Okay, here, here's, the, here's the dazzling detail. If you could go into another dazzling detail from the story. He, he's 15 years old. He had two outstanding arrest warrants. Two. One for vehicle theft and another for burglary. Okay, so you have a 15-year-old carjacks somebody, leads the cops on a high-speed chase, slams into other vehicles, and it turns out that he's wanted for what appears to be two other separate incidents, that he is, in fact, a a fugitive, one for burglary and another for vehicle theft. Now, I don't know that I'm going out on my lim- on a limb too much when I say what I'm about to say. My guess is this incident, the burglary that he's a fugitive on, and the um, car theft that he's on, that he's uh, again wanted for. My guess is it, that is probably those are not the first time. I mean, my guess is that at the age of 15, this thug has amassed a, a record that it's not just these two. My guess is he is known to authorities, and I could be wrong, could be being overly judgmental, but my guess is that, that he's been doing this before. But here you have this behavior which is incredibly dangerous. Now, now, there, there's so much that, that's wrong with this particular situation. It's one thirty on a school day. This kid is a fugitive, so, I mean, how tough could it have been to find him? Probably a record as lengthy as, again, your arm. And it's nothing short of a miracle that some innocent person did not get killed in this entire action or that some police officer didn't get hurt. So now he's 15 years old. He's he's in custody, at least as far as I know. But who knows, with juvenile courts nowadays, somebody could turn him around and send him back out to run again. But but here's, of all the different aspects of this, one of the things that I find the most aggravating is you will notice during the entire recitation of the story, I I didn't tell you who this kid was. And the reason I didn't tell you who this kid was was at this point in time, he is a juvenile. When he committed his other crimes, vehicle theft, burglary, that he is a fugitive for, his name was not made public. We don't know who this kid is. And we might never 
know who this kid is if the DA's office doesn't decide to try to waive him into adult court. Presumably, some of the offenses are in Racine, some of the offenses are in Milwaukee County. But if they decide we're not going to try to waive him into adult court, we're not going to know who this dangerous thug is. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have been arguing for the longest time that this notion of protecting these dangerous criminals simply because they are 15. Oh, did you hear what that awful man on the radio said? He, he said that this is a dangerous criminal at the age of 15. You're darn right I said he's a dangerous criminal at the age of 15. And anybody who was in the way of this kid driving this carjacked vehicle at a high rate of speed, eluding police on the east side, I think yesterday would agree with me that he is a dangerous criminal. I think the public has a right to know. The public had a right to know who this was when he uh, broke into a house. The public had a right to know who this kid was when he stole cars. This idea that we are going to protect these kids who commit crimes is absurd. And and yes, we should be making, I don't care if they're 12 or 15 or 17, we should be making their names public when they are accused of crimes. So the neighbors can know that they are living down the street from a gangster, so that the people in the community can track what the judges do when these kids get thrown into court or come into the court system, this idea of protecting juveniles, I think, is outdated and actually dangerous. 414-799-1620. All right, should these names be made public, regardless of whether or not this kid gets waived into adult court? My answer is yes. It's 147. This is Jeff Wagner. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One fifty-one, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yes, as Eric Bilstead said, I am in a mood. But it's stories like this that just—how many of these stories do we have to have? It seems on an almost daily basis, we will have a story, and it's a fourteen or a fifteen or a sixteen-year-old kid with a criminal record as long as our arm, our arms, who's involved in something that the only reason somebody's not dead is is really but a grace of for the grace of God. And that's what happened yesterday here. Whether it was the person that this punk carjacked and drug as the drug along as they were trying to resist whether it's the police officers were chasing them whether it was citizens that might have been on the streets while this punk was driving through the east side at high rates of speed um, anybody could have gotten hurt whether it was the cops that were chasing them anybody could have gotten hurt but really I mean, how many of these stories do we have to have? And at the very least, I think you deserve to know the name of the person that's burglarized that house that he was a fugitive for or stole the car that he was a fugitive for or certainly did this. Darlene in West Dallas. Darlene, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Darlene. Oh, oh, absolutely. They need to release these names because you're, you're right. You need to know who you're living by. And these, you know... Quite honestly, these aren't kids. These are thugs. They're no better than a 30-year-old doing the same crime. Yeah, and, and actually they, they might be perhaps in some cases even more sophisticated than the 30-year-olds. I mean, my get, and look, and again, I, I, I don't know because we're not releasing this kid's name and we don't release the criminal record other than to say that he's a fugitive for this. But who knows, Darlene, how much stuff this kid has done beforehand. My guess is a lot. My guess is this was not the first time at the rodeo for him. Oh, two or three pages worth at least. Right, and he's only fifteen. No, thank that. See that that's absolutely, and he's only and he's only fifteen. You know, I just 
I, I just remember there was a story a few months ago where they caught some kid, and I, I want to say he was 15, could have been 16, could have been 14. Okay, but a juvenile. They, they believe he is implicated in somewhere around 20 auto thefts because they kept recovering these stolen cars and they found his fingerprints all over the stolen cars. The Milwaukee DA's office, simply for car theft, will not waive you into adult court. And it doesn't matter how many cars you've stolen, you're going to go in front of the catch-and-release juvenile justice system. Okay, so, uh, because, again, if it's just car theft, if it's carjacking or something, maybe they'll consider it. But here you have somebody who's implicated in what they believe 20 car thefts, who is well-known to authorities even before this, but because they won't bring him into adult court, people aren't going to know about this. Now, I don't know about you, but if in my neighborhood... All right, there's a kid that lives three doors down that's been involved in, I don't know, stealing 20 or 30 uh, automobiles. I think the neighbors have a right to know that. Why are we protecting the gangsters? When at some point in time are we going to start standing up and saying the rights of law-abiding citizens need to trump the rights of protecting uh, against some of these juveniles? Now, look, and I, I understand if we're talking about, okay, they, they go and they shoplift a pack of gum. All right, that's a different story. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about burglary. We're talking about vehicle theft. We're talking about serious stuff. Um, generally committed by the same group of repeat criminals. And yes, I think you deserve to write to know who those people are. It's 154. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 157. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, Gru is producing the show today. Mark the tape here because sometimes people will say, you know, you are, you're an apologist for Governor Walker. You know, it doesn't matter what he does. That you will you will defend him and say he did the right thing. You know, well, all right, this mark the tape because I want to give and I, I I defended the governor during Act Ten. I have supported him on a lot of the different initiatives, but I, I think when you look back over the term and ten years of Governor Walker, if you want to point to one enormous, enormous mistake, that mistake is found in the name of one person. And that name is Beverly Gill. Who is Beverly Gill? And why, why should Scott Walker be having buyer's remorse? Who is this Beverly Gill? And why is she the governor's big mistake? Well, I'm going to tell you about that, but I'm not going to tell you about it for a couple minutes. But just remember that name, Beverly Gill, the governor's big, 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 big mistake. Beverly Gill... The governor's mistake that I think will ultimately end up costing the taxpayers a whole lot of money and a whole lot of time in legal fees to get where we should have gotten yesterday. Beverly Gill. I'll tell you who she is in just a minute. Stick around. It's 158. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 208. 
Jeff Wack, WTMJ. Okay. The governor, see, and I, I think it's fair. I mean, I think if you look back, we, we all have a couple of big mistakes that, that we've made. If you look back on your life now, now, Gru, maybe you, who's producing the show, you are perhaps too young to have the big mistakes. Eric Bilstadt, I know he, Eric is too young to have the big mistakes. I, I, I'm, I'm old enough to recognize I, there, there's probably a couple things that you would have done differently. Um, Beverly Gill is somebody that Governor Walker, I think, has to now look back on and recognize big, 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 big mistake. So who is... Beverly Gill. And why is she the governor's big mistake? Well, there is a story to this. Oh, what was it? It was a week ago today, as a matter of fact, that I sat in the studio and I went kind of back and forth for 35 minutes with the interim head of the State Elections Commission, a guy named Mike Haas. He was a an attorney, a staff attorney with the former Government Accountability Board. This is the Government Accountability Board that engaged in the John Doe witch hunt that I, I think trampled the constitutional rights of conservatives. It was really, I think, in my opinion, a very dark time in Wisconsin political history where, and the phrase I think is accurately used, you had some partisan activists who were entrenched in the government together with some politically motivated prosecutors who didn't have the judgment that God gave a goose, who weaponized the Government Accountability Board and used it to go after conservatives. Um, Haas was not directly involved in that, but he, he reviewed briefs, and after the Government Accountability Board just w- bro- was broken up, he actually, to my surprise, has continued to defend that investigation. Um, yeah, and when, when we were going back and forth, he was like, well, I, I mean, you were a prosecutor. Yeah, I was. Hindsight is twenty twenty, and you could say, well, maybe we should have done this differently or that differently. But he, he's refused to acknowledge the climate of, of partisanship for at least one of the attorneys there that candidly should, in my opinion, lose his law license over what it appears he did. Um, not Mike Haas, but one of the other guys. Haas was, well, you know, he was tenacious, but, you know, that that's, well, he wasn't tenacious. I think there was a lot more stuff going on there. But what really troubled me is this Mike Haas, who went over to the state elections commission as the interim director, interim being, you know, um, you're, you're not, the, it's not a full-time gig, at some point in time, you know, they're going to have to find a full-time person. Um, the, the fact that he just refused to even acknowledge that there was any sort of problems there at all, I, I found to be very, very troubling. And it's why if this is a job that requires a Senate confirmation, uh, and it's why, as I said earlier this week, if I was the member of the state Senate, I would have voted no, because I, I understand that the Elections Commission isn't going to be doing the same sort of stuff that the Government Accountability Board did. But if you worked in and around and were least peripherally involved in that sort of poisonous atmosphere, and and even a couple years afterwards, you refused to acknowledge that there was any poisonous atmosphere. Yeah, I, I think that reflects on on your judgment, and I think that's disqualifying. That's why I would have voted no. So anyhow, the state senate earlier this week votes no. It's a position that requires under the law confirmation of the state senate. State senate, along a party line vote, votes no, rejects his appointment. So um, you know he was the interim head. Okay, now so he, he should be out. 
there are a couple hardcore partisans on the election commission who say, well, we, we think this guy's doing a great job and, and we don't care, you know, what the state senate says. We're going to, we want to keep him on. Now, uh, legal analysis suggests that you, you can't do that. This is a, this commission, uh, doesn't have the authority to have a director that needs to be confirmed by the Senate once the Senate has said no. But this agency starting to have the appearance again of a rogue agency. It's run, it's chaired by a Democrat. There's three Democrats and three Republicans. Uh, the Assembly Majority and Minority Leader have an appointment. The Senate Majority and Minority Leader have an appointment. The Governor has an appointment. And then um, there's another Democrat that gets appointed as well. So it's three and three. So, all right, all the commissioners wanted Haas to stay. Okay, that's fine. But the Senate says no. All right, Senate says no. His position is turned down. So yesterday there is a meeting of the Elections Commission. And the question is, what do you do with Haas? Well, the easy answer is, we, you know, we, we go find somebody else. The Senate has said no. Instead of doing that, though, the Democrats on the Election Commission decide, no, we want to spend taxpayer dollars, and we don't care that he hasn't been confirmed. We don't care that the confirmation has been rejected. We're going to hire him regardless. We're going to reappoint him after he's been turned down. Um, All three Democrats vote in favor of doing this. And most legal analysis say that, okay, if this matter goes to court, what's going to happen is it, it's a position that requires Senate confirmation, and once you're turned down, you are turned down. Now, that might not be a decision that comes out today. It might not be a decision, depending if it goes to a Dane County Circuit Court, you might have to get it up to the Supreme Court. We might have to spend, I don't know, several hundred thousand dollars in taxpayer dollars trying to get this thing resolved, but it's going to be resolved in favor of, you know, the Senate, the Senate has the right to confirm somebody. If the person's not confirmed, they have to leave. Now, so why do I talk about Beverly Gill being the governor's mistake? All right. So six members of the Elections Commission, all three Democrats say, we don't care that this guy Haas was rejected. He wasn't confirmed. We want to keep him involved. We want to continue to hire him. Two of the three Republican appointees, Jody Jensen and Dean Knudsen, say, look, we we would have been in favor of keeping him, but he was rejected by the the Senate, and that means he's got to go. Matter of fact, um, you know, uh, Knudsen says, hey, look, I've got a memo from the Nonpartisan Legislative Council, which gives us legal advice, and he says this memo, you know, makes it, pretty clear that it says it appears likely that a court would find that the Senate rejecting him removes the administrator. And so Knudsen saying, look, even though I would have had, I'm a Republican, I would have kept him, the fact that the Senate rejects him means he needs to go. Jody Jensen bought into that. Beverly Gill, who is from Burlington and a former, like, uh, elections clerk, I think, she decided to vote with the three Democrats to reappoint this guy, guaranteeing that there is going to be a legal fight that the Elections Commission, in my opinion, is is guaranteed to lose. Meanwhile, as we move into the 2018 election cycle, you've got the State Elections Board, which is um, under a cloud of huge uncertainty because the guy that's running it probably isn't legally entitled to run it. Um, 
what should have happened, and again, you can argue that Mike Haas was getting a bad rap or whatever. It doesn't matter. The Senate said no. The Senate rejected him. What should have happened is the number two person or somebody should have started a search or the number two person, anybody other than the person rejected by the Senate, should have been elevated to take the job. So now you have the Elections Commission because of its own actions, particularly the action of one Republican, Beverly Gill, who voted with the three Democrats to reappoint or continue this guy after he had been rejected by the state Senate. This is now going to continue. You're going to have a legal battle. You've got this degree of uncertainty. It is going to be expensive. It is going to be unnecessary. And again, Beverly Gill was the appointee of the governor. Um, She has a term that serves until May of 2019, which means she will presumably be gone 12, 13, 14 months from now. But by this particular vote yesterday, um, she's managed to spend all sorts of taxpayer dollars on what I think will be a foolish effort that's ultimately going to fail to try to keep a guy who shouldn't be there because of the vote in the state Senate. Beverly Gill, remember the name, Governor Walker's big mistake. It's 217. As long as we're talking about the court system, something else interesting happened yesterday. I'll tell you all about that in a minute. It's 217. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 221. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. The way the federal court system works is you've got the United States Supreme Court. Then you've got a series of appellate courts below the Supreme Court. Um, the Seventh Circuit, and they're very, you know, First Circuit, Second Circuit, Third Circuit. In Wisconsin, all the cir- all the local district court cases that get appealed go to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. The Seventh Circuit hears all the federal appeals from Wisconsin, Indiana, and Illinois. Um, there are a number of judges on these various courts of appeals. It's very prestigious. It's very important because the court of appeals, they hear all appeals from district court cases. The Supreme Court picks and chooses. So most of the law in this country is really made at the appellate court level. Um, Wisconsin has two representatives who should be on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. One is Justice Judge Diane Sykes. Um, the second has been vacant. The Wisconsin opening has been vacant since the untimely passing of uh, Judge Terry Evans back in 2010. This is the longest vacancy of all the appellate court vacancies. Um, President Trump has nominated uh, Michael Brennan. Mike Brennan is somebody that I have known for a long time. He is an outstanding jurist. Mike Brennan has the type of credentials that if you were looking for somebody to be appointed by a Republican president to the appellate court. Now, he's a conservative. There's no question about it. He's a conservative, but that's what you would expect. That's why I would say elections matter. Um, you know, Mike Brennan, he was a clerk at the Seventh Circuit out of law school. He was an assistant district attorney. He was a staff attorney in the Wisconsin Sentencing Reform Committee. He was a circuit judge in Milwaukee County for years. He was in private practice um, for years as well. As a matter of fact, he's in private practice now. He's got the type of resume that you go, wow, this is the person who should be on the appellate court. The American Bar Association, which is a left-leaning organization, they have rated him as well-qualified, which is the highest rating they give. Okay, so so what's the problem? Well, the problem is he is 
a conservative. And Tammy Baldwin, who is the very liberal senator for the state, is trying to block this. The Senate has had this rule forever. It's called a blue slip process, which means that if there's somebody that the president, say, wants to nominate from your state, the senator from that state, in this case, Terry, uh, Tammy Baldwin, can block that, can stop that from going forward um, simply by refusing to turn in th- this blue slip. Well, Tammy Baldwin is trying to prevent Mike Brennan from getting a, a vote. Now, if that happens, th- this court, this vacancy is going to sit, this, this job is going to sit vacant for another two and a half years. Brennan is eminently qualified, but um, Baldwin is trying to block it. Well, um, what happened yesterday is the, the Senate Judiciary Committee had a hearing. Um, his name, he's going to be passed on on a party line vote. Nobody, I think, questions his credentials. It's just people don't like the fact that, well, gee, he's a conservative and, you know, we don't want to give him that particular vote. What's interesting about this is the Senate appears ready to change the rules and do away with this blue slip process where somebody in the minority can block a qualified candidate from getting an appointment, um, at least certainly on the appellate court level. So my guess is that Brennan is going to be confirmed by the Senate. He's going to be confirmed by the Senate relatively soon. This is an example, again, of Tammy Baldwin trying to keep a qualified, admittedly conservative, but mainstream conservative, incredibly qualified person off the bench. And if it means that they got to change the rules to get somebody like Brandon on, they should change the rules because to allow Tammy Baldwin to block anybody else that would come up. And I got to tell you, they're not going to find anybody more qualified than Mike Brennan. They might be able to find somebody as qualified, but you're not going to find somebody more qualified than Mike Brennan. You know, if Tammy Baldwin's able to get her way, this this seat's going to sit vacant for at least another few years. That is unacceptable. um, Brennan had his hearing yesterday He'll be passed on, I think, and maybe they're going to have to change the rules. And if they end up doing that, that will be um, all because of the very liberal senator from Wisconsin, Tammy Baldwin. All right. We are going to completely switch gears when we come back. It's kind of a fun story. There's something in the present, but there's something that's going to let us walk down memory lane again. And I've, I've, got, a, I've got a couple confessions to make, so stick around. It's 226 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Two thirty-seven, Jeff Webb, six twenty, WTMJ. There are some things and some individuals who, when you hear their names, you, you think about th- their hometown. And th- there, you know, th- there's a couple people that are synonymous with Milwaukee, but one would be the Crusher. Now, I, I've, I've told this story before. I, I grew up watching wrestling. Okay, I um. When I was a kid, my, my my parents would take me to my grandparents' house. They'd go out on Saturday night, and they'd kind of – I was going to say dump me off. That's, you know, but they, they, I'm sure my grandparents were delighted to see me, and I, and, and so I, I would spend Saturday nights, and then I'd sleep overnight, and then my parents would come pick me up the next day. And I can remember sitting in the living room of my grandparents' house. It was this little row house, and my grandmother was an avid fan of professional wrestling. And I've also told this story before. My grandmother – um, to her dying day, never believe, never would accept the fact that the 
results. I, I don't want to say pro wrestling is fake because I mean these moves that these guys make are, are real, but the results are how should we say predetermined? Their characters. You could never convince my grandmother that, and so we'd sit and we'd watch the stuff, and she'd get all worked up about these things, and she'd be screaming about the stuff, and I. So that was my first. I my it was my 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 mater, my paternal grandmother that got me into wrestling. Then we moved here when I'm about nine or ten years old from the East Coast, and I, I got into. AWA Wrestling. Now, back in the day, now there's just a couple, there's actually one really big wrestling league and then a couple minor ones, but they're national. Back in the day, back in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, you had different territories. You know, you had people that wrestled in the East Coast. You had people that wrestled in the South. You had people that wrestled in Texas. You had people that wrestled in the Midwest. And they kind of pretended that, that nobody else existed. You know, the only wrestlers were there were the ones that were working in a particular territory. And, you know, then there'd be these surprise guys that would come from, from others. And the different territories were owned by, you know, different promoters. That all ended when Vince McMahon, the guy who's now in charge of the WWE, he kind of went national and he started raiding talent and he put together cable TV packages on a nationwide basis and it kind of changed the whole industry. But back in the day, if you were a child growing up in the 60s or 70s around here, chances are, at least if you were a child like me, chances are you would... You know, on on sometimes it was Saturday nights, sometimes it was Sunday mornings. You know, you would watch the American Wrestling Association, the AWA, which was owned by a wrestler named Vern Gagne. And, um, you know, they, they show it sometimes. It would be something like Channel 18 or Channel 24, you know, something like that. It would be 10 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, and, and you'd watch it. And what they do is that they would tape a bunch of matches. They tape like three weeks' worth of shows over a two-day period at a TV station in Minneapolis. And then they do all the interviews which were designed to promote the, the whole idea of the TV thing was to promote the local matches. Yeah, they're coming to, they're going to be at the Milwaukee Auditorium, you know, come on down. So they, they, they promote the matches. And the, the shows were essentially just kind of like shill to get people to come out and want to pay money to see the matches. And I, I admit, as I was growing up, from time to time we went to the air-conditioned Milwaukee Auditorium and, and watched various matches and things like that. And it was, I mean, it was just a ton of, of fun. But, you know, you had the, these characters that were there, and there was Bobby the Brain Heenan and, um, you know, Jesse Ventura, who went on to be the governor of California. You know, he, he wrestled, and, and these guys would bounce around. But, but I would say that of the different AWA wrestlers that you think of, I mean, there were a handful of them. And there was like Mad Dog Vashon, and there was certainly Vern Gagne, and there was Baron Von Roschke. I'm not embarrassed about this, but I've got an autographed picture of Baron Von Roschke up at my desk here at work, and there was perhaps the most famous wrestler of all was the Crusher. His name, his real name was Reggie Lazowski, um, and, and he was a Milwaukee guy. Um, went to South Milwaukee High School, um, was in the Army in Germany, started wrestling, came back, trained with people, and then you know became a pro wrestler starting like in late 1949, and he wrestled for about 40 years. And, of course, he was the mainstay, and, and he talked about Milwaukee, and I'm a Milwaukee guy, and you come on out, and you know here I, I train by carrying the, the, the barrels of beer, and I run up and down the lakefront, and I run from Milwaukee to Sheboygan, and, and it just he was the classic quintessential Milwaukee guy. He lived on the south side, I think, pretty much 
much his entire life. He passed away in 2005, and and the Crusher, the Crusher, was just a, a an icon. There's just no question about it. Now he's back in the news because. Um, the, the folks that are putting, they've put together a, they're, they're trying to raise money. They're trying to raise 40 grand to build a, through a GoFundMe campaign, to build a bronze statue of him that they're going to put down um, in South Milwaukee. Um, the GoFundMe thing is titled the Crusher Statue Memorial Fund. And again, they want to fund a bronze life-size statue of of the crusher that they are going to, you know, erect in, in South Milwaukee. And and actually, you know, it's been going on for a month. They've raised about three grand. But now that they're getting all this publicity in the newspaper and on TV and people like me talking about the radio, I, I think their chances of that are a lot greater. But, you know, it was so funny because after I saw the story yesterday, it brought back all these these different memories of of growing up and watching pro wrestling and I, I was telling this to somebody uh, last night. You know, I said I'm going to talk about this on the radio, and 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 they're going to say, "Well, you know, you're going to really talk about how you like pro wrestling." I said, "Yeah, I, I I've said this before. It's not a secret. I mean, I'm I consider myself to be a Renaissance guy. I can go to the ballet, I can go to the symphony, but I like going to pro wrestling. And I grew up and watching this stuff. And they're kind of looking at me, saying, "Well, you, you knew it was you know fake, didn't you?" And I said, "Well, okay. I mean, I I understand they were playing characters and stuff, but but still, they they were entertaining." And, and the people you would see, the characters they had, it was just incredible, and it was a lot of fun. And the person I was talking to was kind of looking at me like I had, again, like like two heads. It's like, I can't believe that Jeff Wagner liked this stuff. I, said, I, I, I love this type of stuff. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I cannot be the only one out there. Now, look, I, I understand that you kind of, you know, grow up, and there might be stuff that you liked when you were a kid that you don't like as an adult. But you know what? I enjoyed I enjoyed pro wrestling when I was growing up, and I enjoyed the AWA, and I remember a lot of those characters like they were just like it was just yesterday. And I'm not going to apologize for liking it. I think it, I, I just had a lot of fun, and I can remember looking forward to those shows and looking forward to going to the wrestling matches with my buddies. And I don't think I'm alone. 414-799-1620. We're going to talk about it next. It's 244. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Well, I'm glad to see that a number of us shared the same growing up thing. Uh, Southside Chuck writes, Jeff, I believe the Bruiser was the the Bruiser was the Crusher's cousin, and at one time they were tag team champions back in the day. Love to watch it Saturday nights and Sunday morning. Um, I don't, yeah, I mean they build them as cousins. I don't know if they really were, but that was it. That's my cousin Dick the Bruiser. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mark in Fond du Lac. Mark, you're on WTMJ. <laughs> Good afternoon. Bear with me there. I, I, I think the other people are the ones that should be looked at odd. Obviously, you're right in the middle of car pressure country. Um, uh, and as far as the GoFundMe stuff, I would think um, there was usually would lift off some of the local saloons that he was bouncing people out of and maybe get some of the funds from the, the dollies down on Wisconsin Avenue. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. No, they, they, I'm going after that mad dog. It, it's, I mean... It's if we can have a Fonzie statue, you know that's the thing. If you can have a Fonzie statue on the Riverwalk, you sure, certainly should be able to have, you know, a Crusher statue as well. Dean in Hales Corners, Dean, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey Jeff. Hi, Dean. You know, as you talk about this and talk, uh, memories, oh, yeah? I've been rolling in my head through that. You know, Bolinsky, the right. Crusher, Baron von Roschke, the Claw Master. Right. <laughs> 
I mean, how many little kids didn't go around trying to grab other their friends with a claw, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Right. And <laughs> well, for Baron, Baron, me. Baron von Roschke, <laughs> right? Baron von Roschke was a gym teacher in in Minneapolis who happened to know Vern Gagne, and they they, they got him in that way because that's you know that's where they taped the the stuff. No, it's it's just it's just. It's just fun. Now, thanks for calling. I mean, it's it, it's just a lot of a lot of good times. Bill in Milwaukee. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Bill. Hey, is it Jeff? It's Jeff. You're on the air. All right. Hey, listen to this one. I was there live. This is my claim to fame. <laughs> I was there live when Doctor X got his mask ripped off by Blackjack Lanza. <laughs> How cool is that? Right, he he was unmet, right? Doctor X, right? He if he had the winning streak, and then finally he lost. And thanks for the call. And of course, I, I don't want to. I mean, Doctor X, that was the guy's gimmick, and he he wrestled like I want to say is the Destroyer in another territory, and he'd be there and he'd try to uh, take the mask off, and then ultimately he would. Then he'd move to another one. Jeff, I'm 46. I remember watching The Crusher and Baron von Roschke with my dad and brothers on Saturday nights. It would always devolve into a wrestling match on the living room floor. Good. Memories. I'm definitely going to donate. Um, yeah, it's that's yeah. It's just a it's just a lot of fun there. Um, let's talk to Larry in Waukesha. Larry, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. Good. Yeah, I used to go. I'm 66, and I used to go when I was 14, 15 years old to the amphitheater in Chicago to okay. watch the wrestling matches. There was Dick the Bruiser and the Crusher wrestling <laughs> together a lot. Right, yeah, the tag team, yeah. Oh, the tag team, it was great. Then there was, my favorite was Bobo Brazil. My grandmother yeah. loved Bobo Brazil and the Cocoa Butt, you know, where he'd like to the headbutt That's what stuff. he did. I was, I'm going around popping my forehead on everybody <laughs> with his <laughs> yeah, it's, no, I, they, they, I mean, I, I'll, you know, this is just, uh, indulge me. I mean, but my grandma, you might mention Bobo Brazil, and she'd, she'd watch that. And she'd, I can't believe what that man's doing to that poor Bobo. And, you know, and he's kind of like, okay, even that, I'm like six years old, and I'm thinking, I don't think this is real, but a, I certainly wasn't gonna, I certainly wasn't gonna argue with, um, my grandmother about that one. Uh, Dave in West Bend. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. I've probably been watching as long as you, and uh, I remember the Killer Bees, a uh, great guy named Jim Barzell. Right. They were, they were a great tag team, and uh, I used to work with Jake the Mip, Bill Van Billeman, and he kind of told me all about how, you know, it's basically choreographed stuff. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, it was just a lot of fun, but he'd come into work with me on a Monday morning. Oh, so, yeah. You know, telling me he landed wrong, and, you know. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, because, I mean, thanks, Cole, because even if it's, again, it, it, are they are they playing char- characters and stuff? Yeah, but the, these flips these guys are doing are, are bad. And it's interesting, like, some of the, what they would call the jobbers, you know, the, the spuds, the guys that would always get beat up, like the Jake the Milkman Milligans and Kenny the Sodbuster, Kenny J the Sodbuster, and they, the, those guys would also, they'd go around, they'd be also setting up the rings <laughs> beforehand and stuff. It was something. Bob and Palmyra. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Bob. You know that I was one day, little kid, Underneath, we come early to watch uh, the wrestlers come in, and I'm there walking underneath the, the arena. I see this big guy, and it's a crusher. And I come <laughs> to him. I hit him on the back like a brick wall, and I go, go get those turkeys. We're going to come to him, aren't we? It's just it's so exciting. And who can we forget Pompero Purple? Oh, right. <laughs> the, the wild bull of the pampas. Yeah, I see yeah. Yeah, thanks. No, I, I, the, I, rem, I remember Pompero. I remember all these guys. All right. 
We're now talking to Chris in South Milwaukee. Chris, you are the organizer of the Crusher GoFundMe campaign. That is correct, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for calling. I'm, I'm just I, – I, you've gotten all this publicity recently. Is it, is it helping, like, generate more dough? It's going nuts. Good. Um, <laughs> I, and, you know, I, this isn't exactly how I planned it. I, I put the GoFundMe up, and I was going to – I thought it would be kind of a slow build, but people just kept sharing and sharing and sharing, and reporters contacted me, and news stations have contacted me, and it's just gone crazy, which is great. Uh, it's just a little bit accelerated, you know, than I than I thought it would be, um, but it just shows. I think the Crusher really moved a lot of people, and 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 people just love them. Oh, it, it's. I mean, I start talking about this. Just to give you an idea, Chris. Every phone line uh, that we have just just lights up like a Christmas tree. My emails are exploding <laughs> because we all had the same back. I mean, you know, we all grew up the same way around here, and of course. The, the, the Crusher was such a part of the community. I mean, you know, he lived here. I mean, this is where he lived. The kids still live here, you know, married to the same woman for 55 years. I mean, when you think when you think Milwaukee, and particularly South Milwaukee, you think the Crusher. It doesn't get more Milwaukee than the, than the Crusher. Right. So, <laughs> um, so when you rate, if, if... It's a big part of his popularity. I mean, of course, he was hugely famous, most famous South Milwaukee and ever. But I think a huge part of it was not only did he keep his roots here, but everyone I talk to talk, talks about what a great human being he was, generous and kind. And I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, right, and, and certainly an integral part of the community. I'm kind of, kind of up against the clock, Chris, but I, but I tell you, let's, let's keep in touch because I'll be curious to know how the, this campaign proceeds because I, if we've got a Fonzie statue in the lakefront, we should sure as heck have a Crusher statue in South Milwaukee as yeah, far as I'm I'll concerned. Just say go to duckcrusher.org if you want to donate. we got an event coming up at the Vanguard uh, on KK <laughs> on February 22nd, and we got another event at the Tap Room in South Milwaukee. March 15th. Thank you so much for taking my call. Yeah, take care, Chris. Oh, the Vanguard. I love the Vanguard. They got sausages down there, too. It's 256. This is Jeff Wagner, John McCure, Melissa Barkley are in next. Go for the Crusher. The Crusher. you got to check it out.